Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my Son, the Chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. The story of the transfiguration of Jesus appears at least twice every year, on the last Sunday before Lent and on the Feast of the Transfiguration itself in August. More than almost any other single narrative in the current Gospel table of readings. And with it come two classic questions. Did something real happen to Jesus on the mountain? Was he transfigured, metamorphosed, changed in some substantial way? Or was it all in the eyes, the vision, the spiritual perception of those three disciples that changed, allowing them to see what was in fact hidden there and obscured all along? Jesus in his natural glory. There's no absolute answer to this dichotomy. Being a good Anglican, I have to say probably both are true, though I tend toward the second view, that the veil was pulled aside for just a brief moment, and the awful glory of holiness itself was glimpsed just as Moses glimpsed it in the burning bush and on the mountain of that conversation that we call Sinai so many centuries earlier. 
Moses glimpsed it, and his face glowed. I'm fascinated by the conditions under which such glimpses occur. They can happen, of course, at almost any ordinary time, sitting on a riverbank, walking down a city street, folding the laundry. They can even happen in church. As a woman I once met said, suddenly the world was bathed in light. Or we are overcome with a deep, profound, and unanticipated, even uninvited, but persistent sense that it all makes sense. Or that, as yet another woman you may be acquainted with once said, all shall be well. My experience is that many, not all, but many people have such experiences, such glimpses, and that they rarely share them beyond perhaps one or two other confidence or friends. Part of the problem is that words fail us. And part of the problem, too, is that we have been taught to be somewhat suspicious of such experiences. Our faith in Christ does not need them, does not depend on them. But if and when they come to us, what a wonderful gift. In addition to the ordinary situations of life, there seem to be certain times where such glimpses, such experiences, seem to happen more readily. The first is when we are relaxed and satisfied and feeling safe emotionally, physically, sensually, relationally. Our guard is down, as it were, and God can sneak up on us without our usual defenses coming into play. Consider those three disciples in today's reading. They went with Jesus to a mountain to pray, generally good company, and they were weighed down with sleep. But such breakthroughs can happen as well when we are stressed out or perhaps near or at the end of our strength or our wits or our emotional reserves. It is then that we may be particularly open to see things in a new and more realistic light. The situation itself needn't be dramatic, though it can be, but it is frequently life-changing. This past week, the household here has been under some stress. We were exiled from our church for almost two weeks, and then on Friday faced with a sudden move back. And during this time, we were struck with an epidemic of respiratory disease. One brother still down with pneumonia, maybe eight others sick with bronchitis or viral chest and sinus infections, almost everybody on antibiotics, and everybody just plain exhausted. This seems to happen every few years in the monastic community, kind of like being in kindergarten. 
I was and still am one of the stricken, though recovering. But in the midst of this admittedly modest crisis, lying on my bed, unable to do much of anything, I heard something in a new way and felt a small shift in my thinking. It was captured in a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer that we say from time to time at Compline and that rose spontaneously to my consciousness. O God, your unfailing providence sustains the world we live in and the life we live. Watch over those, both night and day, who work while others sleep, and grant that we may never forget that our common life depends upon each other's toil, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grant that we may never forget that our common life, our lives together, depend upon each other's toil. How true. When I can't be there to do my work, someone else rises to the task, just as I hope I might have the grace and strength to do when the tables are turned. I got to thinking, which is always dangerous, I I, I got to thinking, what if this mutual dependence is true not just for my monastery or a family or a community, but for a nation, a people, for the whole world. What if this is the great truth of gift-giving and reciprocity, that we are now urged to expand beyond family or kin or neighborhood to all peoples, indeed to the entire created order? I don't think I heard that prayer before in quite this way, and I hope that I shall not pray it in the future without hearing that again. So it is, I think, with the experience of the transfiguration of Jesus. In it, the disciples caught a glimpse of the deepest structure of the created order. They saw in Jesus, if only briefly, that deep state, which does not consist of those whom our culture recognizes as powerful, but in the deep and abiding presence of holy love, in eternal dialogue with law and prophets, with truth and right. And though the disciples told no one about it in those days, it was a vision which sustained them and guided them through the dark days into a bright hope of which we today are heirs. The Church holds out to us this luminous mystery of the transfiguration, this mystery of light, as Pope John Paul II called it, as one of the greatest of the epiphanies or manifestations of Christ. It is thus a suitable conclusion of our epiphany season. And as we prepare to enter the Lenten fast once more this week, it offers us courage 
as it did to the disciples, confident that what is true of Christ is also true of each of us, that we too will be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. That's the promise and the goal of Christian life. And it is the work of Lent. May our journey be blessed. May we together reach the joy of Holy Easter with eyes wide open and hearts overflowing with the inexpressible delight of love. Amen.